people have a lot of different reasons why they go to a certain church. And I remember the first week I went to Calvary Chapel. It's when we were at the children's nursery renting space. And I had just broken my ankle. And I'm on crutches. And I'm standing there on crutches. And somebody came up behind me and kicked the crutch out from under me. And I turned around and it was the pastor's son. And so I'm standing there again. And somebody else came by behind me and kicked the crutch out again. And I turned around and it was the pastor. And I thought, this must be the church for me. It's my kind of church. But it's been a total blessing. The biggest blessing in my life has been all the years that I've been at this church. And for Pastor Rob and, and all of you to allow me to serve here and to uh, teach in the Sunday school and minister to your children. Um, what a blessing. I, can't, I don't have the words to describe how thankful I am for this. This church saved my life. Um, I just thank the Lord for you guys. So tonight we're in Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 5. So in verse 5 it says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Which makes sense. Better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear a song of fools. Food that brings health is better than a diet of cotton candy. <clears throat> Better to hear something that keeps us on the path rather than the words of those who don't know the path and are lost and the song of fools which would get us off the path. The Bible says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And we are surrounded these days by the songs of fools. You know, we tell the kids in the Bible, in the, in the Sunday school, that there are a lot of little truths but there is only one ultimate truth that fills the whole universe, and that's the word of God. And that is the biggest truth. And the biggest lie in the universe is that the Bible isn't true. And if you ask the kids in the Sunday school what's the biggest lie, they'll all be able to tell you the Bible isn't true. And we tell them that they're going to be hearing that for the rest of their lives. And that voice is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And they're going to be hearing it. People are going to be saying that the Bible isn't true in many different ways. Uh, I don't think there's a song or a movie or a television show that isn't saying that these days. They don't come right out and say it, but you look at the content and it's saying the Bible isn't true. The number one, allegedly, the number one song in the world right now is a song called Unholy. The lyrics I can't even read in church. Better to hear the rebuke of the wise than the song of fools. Psalm 14, Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And one example of being correct, we should pray for correction, the rebuke of the wise. Um, there's a good example of correction in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul corrected Peter in the book of Acts. It says, now when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. So publicly, Paul confronts Peter and calls him out in front of everybody there. And he says, 
For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, and if anybody should have known that, it should have been Peter, because he had that vision when he went to Cornelius of the sheet coming down with all the unclean animals in it. And God told him, he said, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And yet Peter is separating himself from the Gentiles out of fear of man and being the hypocrite. I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as a Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So Peter was kind of leading people away from the truth of the gospel towards the uh, ritualism of Judaism and the traditions. And we should desire this. We should desire correction. I know my prayer constantly, every day, is Lord, correct me. Because it's so easy for me to get off the path. I need to have my path corrected constantly. We sing that song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And I do feel it. I am prone to wander and I need to be correct, corrected. And I thank God for the times that he corrects me. Correct me by your spirit using your word or a brother or sister. That's why it's so important to be in the word of God because it brings correct, it corrects our path. We could be going down the wrong way and we get into the word of God and God speaks to us and corrects us. It's why they hated Jesus because he corrected them. He told those who thought they were right that they were wrong. John 3.19, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Paul says in Romans, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And I struggled with this. I remember when the Lord was drawing me to himself. I struggled with the idea, with the fact, with the reality that everything about me was wrong. And what a blow to, the pri to pride that is. Everything about me is wrong. There is no good thing within me. It's a blow to our pride when we acknowledge that everything about us is wrong. But we should be thankful when we are corrected. When a brother or sister corrects us, we should be thankful that there is someone who loves us enough to take that step of faith and obedience to the Lord to speak the truth out of love and in love and correct us. So, Lord, please correct our path. If I'm not corrected, I'll veer off the path. Again, we are prone to wander. May the Lord in his grace and mercy correct us and bring us back to the path that Jesus is on, that we may follow him in truth. Verse 6. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Thorns are pretty useless when it comes to cooking. They make a lot of noise and they crackle, but they don't give off much heat and they disintegrate quickly. The fools, 
the fool lives a life devoid of the knowledge of God. The Bible says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. So what would give a fool pleasure is derived from the flesh. And as the Bible says in 1 Peter, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The person whose life is in Christ has reason to laugh, to rejoice, and to be of good cheer. Laughter and cheer should come easy to the believer. Psalm 113.6 says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. People free from that which would destroy them should be what Jesus said many times to people in the gospel, people that he healed, people that he brought into the light. He said to them, be of good cheer. The Bible says in, for, in Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. To be truly free and able by the Spirit to walk in that truth. To the pure, all things are pure. We know that all things are not pure, that there is clean and there's unclean. But to have that outlook, to have that mindset, that all things are pure. Luke eleven thirty four. the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. The pure in heart will see God, Jesus said. Laughter, joy, and good cheer should come easy for us. May the Lord purify our hearts. Verse 7, surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. Oppression, even if because of the deceitfulness of this world it's not recognized as oppression, can cause believers and non-believers to have an ungodly mindset and react in an ungodly way. The antidote for oppression is the word of God, to be in the word of God, to be free. Verse 8, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. What a great feeling it is to finish something and have it turn out better than when you started. The beginning of our faith, that first love, that joy that we had, when we feel that we could explode with joy, we have that first love. That's the beginning of our faith. Wait till we see the end of our faith. Wait until we step into forever. And we pray always to finish well, to be found in Christ, to hear from Jesus those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So who gets to hear those words? Those who remain in that first love all the days of their life will hear those words. To abide in that which produces obedience and good works. Those who keep themselves in the love of God. Verse 9, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. With the kids in Sunday school, when we talk about anger, we talk about two sticks of dynamite. One has a short fuse and one has a long fuse. Which one is going to blow up quicker? And how we should pray that we have a, the Lord would give us a short, a short fuse. Pray for, oh, I'm sorry, pray for a long fuse. I'm getting angry up here. It's easy to become angry these days. 
And there are many Christians who are overwhelmed by the insanity of this world and their peace and joy is replaced by anger. There are a lot of angry Christians around when they see what's going on in this world and they react in anger. The antidote is to spend more time in God's word than on YouTube or Fox or CNN or any other news outlet. Spending time in God's word brings us that peace and shields us from that anger and protects our hearts. James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And you have to ask yourself, how long is God's fuse? Pretty long. The Bible says his mercy endures forever. What does his mercy endure? It endures time and it endures me. Verse 10, do not say why were the former days better than these, for you do not inquire wisely concerning this. You know, whenever I see somebody I went to high school with and they, we start talking about the alleged good old days back in high school, you begin to realize, it doesn't take very long before I realize those days were not that good. When I look back on the good old days, supposedly, I cringe. I realize they weren't that good. We tend to look at the good old days through rose-colored glasses. As believers in Jesus Christ, it should be that in spite of the deterioration of the times we live in, these are the good old days that we're living in right now. These are the good old days because in the days ahead of us, the climate of our culture is not going to improve. It's cultural thermodynamics. Rot has set in. Also, these are the good old days because it has never been more important for believers to live by faith, and a life of faith is a reward in itself. These are the times where we can truly live, live in dependence of God, live in faith. As God said to Abraham, the man of faith, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. The good old days are in the past. The past is gone. All there is is today and forever. Hebrews 10.35 Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will, will, will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. There's a great opportunity during this time that we live in. Great opportunity to live in total dependence of God. Total dependence of God. And that is truly life. There is no other life than a life of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, by its very nature, always looks to the future. Verse 11, Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. Wisdom is knowing what is the best thing to do, the right thing to do, knowing God's will in every circumstance, and then doing it. That's the definition of wisdom. 
so that the doing it, so that the purposes of God are accomplished in our lives and the lives of those around us. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. It is the Lord's desire that we walk a path of wisdom. We can have confidence that God will grant our request for wisdom. And as usual concerning the gifts of God, he desires it more for us than we even desire it for ourselves. He is more than willing to meet our needs to give us what we ask for. And the path of wisdom is a path of holiness. And there's a scripture in Isaiah 35.8 that I love. It says, a highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. Wisdom to walk in that highway of holiness. Verse 13, consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? No one can thwart the plan or purposes of God. Sinful rebellion cannot thwart the purpose of God. May the Lord bring us into the flow of his good and perfect will. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Think of Job, in the first chapter of Job, Job lost everything. They took away his livelihood, they killed his servants, he lost his children, he came down with a, with a disease, and it says, then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return here, there. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. It's sort of like Job was saying, I brought nothing into this world. Everything I had was given to me by God. The goodness of the Lord has given to me, and the goodness of the Lord has taken it all away. God doesn't change. I can't complain. I can't charge God with wrong, because the same God who gave has taken away. He is perfect in all his ways. He is light. There is no darkness in him. The only one who can be charged with wrong is me. Everything allowed through the hand of God is for good. Verse 15. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Jeremiah 12.1. Jeremiah questioned this. He said, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. Why do the wicked prosper? Luke 6, 35, Jesus said, But love your enemies. Do good to the good and to those who aren't. And lend, hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. 
last week we were talking about this with the kids in Sunday school, and I that the Lord I asked the kids, you know, why would God do this? Why would He let His sun shine on the good and the wicked? Why would He let His rain fall on the good and the wicked? We can understand, I guess, why He would do it for the good because they're good. But why would He do it for the wicked? Why the bad? And this one little boy raised his hand and he said, so they would know his love and believe in him. And that's exactly, that is, that's the answer. He is good to all, as we should be. We should be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. Verse 16, do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? You know, how can one be overly righteous and overly wise? The only thing I can think of is only if they're faking it. One of my favorite books outside of the Bible is a book, The Diary of Andrew Bonar. He was a Scottish preacher back in the 1800s. He was a Bible scholar. He was a writer. He pastored a church, and he pastored a church during three great revivals in Scotland. Generations were touched by the Lord through his ministry. And you can see in his personal diary, which he probably never meant for anybody else to see, but you can see in his personal diary that he was a righteous man, trusting in Christ alone. He was a man who laid hold of eternal life through the grace of God. He was a man who had an all-consuming love for Jesus Christ, and you can see that in his diary day by day. But you can also see through his diary that he was very human, with all the struggles of faith and failure that we all experience. Because of this, he was extremely approachable, and this was, and he was used mightily by the Lord. People who give off the persona of having cornered the market on righteousness and wisdom are of very little benefit to the church. And they're walking on shaky ground because the persona that they try to give off that standard that they're putting forth is a hard one to uphold. And when the mask comes off, the face behind it is always ashamed. Verse 17, do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. Do not be overly wicked. Hebrews 10.26, it speaks of those who are overly wicked. The definition of wickedness in the Bible, I believe, is someone who stands before God and says, I will not have this man to reign over me. That's the wicked. Hebrews 10.26, it says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And I have to think, you know, what sin have I ever committed that wasn't willful? What sin have I ever committed that I didn't know what I was doing, that I didn't know better? The writer isn't speaking of those who sin and repent and confess their sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive their sin and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. He's speaking of those who would stand under heaven and declare, I will not have this man to rule over me. For that heart, there is no sacrifice for sin but a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Fear God. Revelation 21.8 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, 
murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Speaking of the judgment of those who reject the salvation of God through Jesus Christ, you wonder why is it called the second death? True death is defined as being eternally separated from God, hell. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered true death in our place on the cross. And those who believe and receive what Jesus has done will never experience death. The only ones who will ever experience eternal death are Jesus and those who have their part in the second death. 1 Corinthians 15.54 So when this corruption is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. Wisdom, obedience to God, protects its recipients. Verse 20, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. The first prayer on entering into life is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The last prayer before we leave this earth and step into forever is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I've quoted this, I think, every time I've been up here. It's one of my favorite quotes. Somebody wrote a long time ago, a Bible commentator, said, the great secret concerning everything having to do with Christianity is to consent to be loved while unworthy. This is the great secret. Verse 21, also do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. It's a great guard for our heart to be thick-skinned, to have things bounce off of us. When we hear people talking and our name is mentioned, our ears tend to perk up. And if we hear something complimentary, it encourages us that someone thinks well enough for us to speak it. If it's negative, our natural response is to take offense and that person goes on, a, goes on our, that person is a rat list. What a guard for our heart to be thick-skinned. That those poisoned arrows don't penetrate our heart and cause rot to set in. To have our hearts shielded by the love of God. To be, in a sense, invulnerable to attack. To abide in strength and freedom from what could potentially destroy a natural man. Also, the Bible says that love does no harm to anyone. We should never be maliciously whispering about anyone. The Bible says, you shall not murder. Hebrews 12:15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Verse 23. All this I have proved by wisdom, Solomon said. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? 
I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. This is my last Sunday night, so we're not going to get through all of Ecclesiastes, obviously. But I would like to skip ahead to what Solomon calls the conclusion of the matter. Solomon said that life under the sun, the time allotted to us on earth, is vanity, that it's meaningless. I wonder, how can this be true? How can life be meaningless? We know through the word of God and experience that all attempts to find meaning and purpose outside of the knowledge of God are the flower that fades. As it says in the Bible, all flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The, flower with, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Some philosophers in the past who would agree with Solomon's conclusion of life under the sun have alluded that the realization of this truth of life under the sun, that all is vanity, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, is the very definition of hell, a bottomless pit of hopelessness and despair, existence without God. So the question that should arise after hearing, after the hearing of Solomon is, is there any light in this darkness? John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. Perhaps the key words in that verse are Jesus spoke. The word of God is the anchor for our souls in these times of overwhelming vanity. The word of God is an anchor, the anchor for our souls. So I'd like to skip to the end, to Solomon's conclusion. So if you would turn to chapter 12, which I believe is the last chapter, I just would like to read through Solomon's last chapter here. 12.1 Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say I have no pleasure in them while the sun and the light the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down when the grinders cease because they are few and those that look through the windows grow dim when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also, they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed of the golden, or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. 
The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So you go through the whole book of, of Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. Life is meaningless. Any endeavors that we partake of outside of serving Christ, of obedience to God, is meaningless and temporary. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And this is it. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that is Solomon's conclusion. And that is the remedy to all that is vanity. Walk in the knowledge and reverence of God. Obey him, for this is man's all. And I would add one postscript from Scripture to Solomon's conclusion. And that's in Isaiah 45, verse 22. I would say this is a conclusion of the matter. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So, that's that. Um, we're going to take communion tonight, if Aubrey will come up. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you do, as long as you take, as often as you take the bread and the juice, do it in remembrance of me. You know, in remembrance of him. Did he think that we would forget him? Or would the gospel become so meaningless as to have no effect on our lives or the lives of other people? Jesus said himself, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he, will he really find faith on the earth? How important it is for us to come to the Lord's table as often as possible. The purpose of the Lord's table is to bring us back to reality. Being overwhelmed and burdened by guilt and shame for our sins is not reality. Sometimes we can mess up so badly that we can come to the Lord's table and wonder, will the Lord forgive me? It isn't that he will forgive you. The reality is he has already forgiven you. He forgave us on Calvary, but actually we were forgiven before we were born. Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. First Peter says, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. He was manifest in these last times for you. Hebrews 10.1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer, continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. That's a, a good verse to ponder, to think about. Um, sacrifices that they offer year by year, the Jewish sacrifices, could never make the people who approached perfect. Because if they did, if these people were made perfect by these sacrifices, they would have stopped being offered. Because once purified, they would have no more consciousness of sin. They would not be constantly reminded of their sins. We have been purified because every sin has been forgiven and taken away. So when we come to the table, we leave our sin, we leave our guilt, we leave our shame at the table. And 
the writer goes on and says, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible, not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. If a sacrifice could make someone perfect, it would cease to be offered. The body and blood of Christ was offered once for all. No need for any more sacrifices. His sacrifice has perfected us. And once perfected, we would have no more consciousness of sin. It's not that we don't know we're sinners, and it's not that we don't sin, but we don't keep dredging up all the sins. In Hebrews 10, 16, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Isaiah 1.18 Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Devotion will only come when we realize that all our sins and all our yesterdays, today and tomorrows, we have been justified by the blood of Christ. And that word justified means just as if we had never sinned. And some would say, yes, you know, people talk about grace and redemption all the time, but there's repentance and devotion to God, which is also part of it. But if the reality of the Lord's table doesn't bring about repentance and devotion, nothing else will. Pray that we leave the Lord's table free. Jeremiah 31, 34 no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Isaiah 44:22. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Our prayer should be, Lord, restore unto us the joy of your salvation. We leave our guilt, we leave our shame at the table, and we walk away free, clean, justified before God, pure before God, knowing that God has accepted us, that God looks up on us, and he sees Christ. He doesn't see me, he sees Christ. We walk away free. So, Lord, we just pray for your grace and... Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your table. And Lord, we just pray that we would leave all our guilt and all our shame at the table, Lord, and walk away in freedom with the joy of your salvation, Lord. How we need that, Lord. We can't continue without it, Lord. We can't serve you without it. We can't live without it, Lord. So please, restore us, Lord, we pray, to that place of joy. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. And we remember you, remember, in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said on that night, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. So let's partake. Then he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. I love the new covenant because it's not what I have done or what I haven't done. It's what Jesus has done. And that is our total, total dependence on him. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, 
for what you have done for us, Lord, what you accomplished on Calvary, Lord. When you said it is finished, the debt has been paid. We don't have to pay it. You paid it, Lord. You suffered true death for every one of us, Lord, that we could live. So, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us and cause us this week, Lord, to follow you, to be with you, to be found with you, Lord, we pray. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.